0: Welcome to the Football by Football podcast. Let's do it. Real thing. Real thing. This is the real thing, Patriots podcast, and I'm your host, Matt Adam. Thrilled to be back. 2017 football season is upon us and for those of you that have been fans of the fdf podcast or in the game podcast has been going on the last couple of years me brady quinn brady papanga knocking out shows with more of a national focus all around both college and professional football we decided this year to narrow the focus to, to spend more time on the stuff that you guys wanted to hear about our our audience is made up largely of of patriots fans and uh that being said, doing an hour show where we look all around the league and only get to spend 10 to 15 minutes on your your team didn't make a ton of sense for us. I work, obviously, in this market. In Essen, uh, you know, with my head buried in, in game tape with Patriots stuff and, and all the different things going on around that team. So if we're going to do a show, we thought it would make more sense to do one that poured all our energy into where we were spending our daily time. So this is the new thing, the real thing, uh, where we wanted to do a, a full-time Patriots show, uh, but one that also – got away from the nonsense off the field. There's enough other places where you can go for hot takes and speculation and all that goofy stuff that uh, doesn't really have much to do with the game of the football. And, you know, you can do that in March and April and May and whatever else, but once games are going on, anything derived from the game is what matters everything else is kind of nonsense so this is going to be that show we hope for you where you can get the real stuff Uh, evaluation of what already happened in a game and uh, some analysis on what about is about to happen Uh, looking ahead to the next team that the Patriots are going to face so we want this to be sort of your cornerstone show out there for uh, finding out what's going on with your team and uh, we're going to be dedicated to it and I put a lot of time and hours into making sure this is the best show out there so Let's dive in. Obviously, we have a, a different scenario here, as as all 32 teams are dealing with. You've just come out of training camp. Uh, You've got to get your roster settled. That's happened now for the Patriots. Uh, we, we should have now a good sense of who they are on this Thursday evening game coming up. Uh, you're going to get this show with just a few days to go before that game. Uh, so we'll all have a good sense of who this roster is. Uh, and I think that's important because you go to game day with – with one roster, you you play in the Super Bowl or whatever it is later in the year with a little bit different one. So this is just meant to be in context, who they are today, what they're going to deal with, uh, you know, uh, who they believe can help them the best of the Chiefs coming out of these preseason games. So let's hit here on some of the biggest storylines and sort of where I stand on those and what's real and what's not in, in my view and, uh, you know, what can be helpful for you trying to figure out who your team is going in here to week one against Kansas City Chiefs. Now, one of the biggest storylines we discussed on those broadcasts of the preseason games was the edge situation. And, uh, you know, I, I thought it would be helpful to sort of think about this notion of of pass rushers and all this stuff that 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 people tend to be concerned about, excuse me, year in, year out. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with the sack stat. And, and I wanted to use this season as sort of a good example of, of – why the Patriots don't, you know, obsess over that? Why everything is not around pressure and sat stacks? It's really more of a big picture look uh, in building a roster. And uh, you know, there was a time when when Derek Rivers, the new the new guy, uh, had a nice few days of practice, looked, flashed a bit in a preseason game, looked like he was really on a on a nice ascension, and he gets injured, and you know, and this just comes right after Rob Ninkovich. Retirement, so we, you know, there was some understandable consternation out there about what are they going to do on the edge? Who's going to rush and get sacks and things like that? And Jabal Sheard being gone, and we obviously know Chandler Jones is another year removed from being here. Uh, Chris Long goes on to the Eagles, so you know it's a lot of these, a lot of faces out the door. I think what happened uh, that confuses a lot of people is off seasons often end up being a lot about posting depth charts and seeing where teams are relative to you know who they got. And uh, there's the usual template, the old four-three four-man line, three-off-the-ball linebacker that gets posted on just about every website you can find. Uh, the team does it as a generic thing just to throw out there. It's chum for people to look at. It doesn't mean a whole lot. Uh, place I use a lot, Our Lads. Our Lads is great for just finding out who's on everyone's team around the league as you go into each new game. They do it as a basic 4-3, uh, four-down linemen, three-off-the-ball guys, uh, a lot of other places. I mean, that's just it's just the basic template, but it really doesn't have anything to do with how teams are actually configuring themselves on the field regularly. And, and one of the things the Patriots did that we saw throughout the preseason and even back into the playoff run from a year ago and, and some late season stuff, they weren't playing that. They weren't playing just, you know, down after down a four-man line with three off-the-ball guys in regular or two in sub or whatever it happens to be. They started playing a lot of this five-man line, and five-man line means you have a nose, a true nose right over center, and then two guys on each side of them. Uh, And that means that your edge guys, your end-of-the-line guys, the guy outside the tackle and tight end, those are linebackers typically. So it's no longer the true defensive end thing. So when you're searching for oh my gosh, my roster, my Patriots team, no longer has a, a pass-rushing so-called defensive end. Uh, Chandler, there's no more Chandler Jones, there's no more Rob Ninkovich. How are they ever going to get to the quarterback? Well, one of the things I would have people look at or just sort of as a, as a reminder, string around the finger, is go back to, go back to our, our three or four stretch with the Super Bowls and, and look at who our, our defensive ends were then. Bobby Hamilton, Anthony Pleasant, Richard Seymour, Jarvis Green, uh, Ty Warren, uh, you know, none of these guys, uh, are you know, they're all great football players, but none of these guys are your prototypical Julius Peppers. You know, none of these people are Chandler Jones. They're not the, the thin lift, uh, pass rush every play, Jason Taylor kind of thing. That's just not who they were. And when you're building at that time, base three, four, uh, Defenses rosters—that's that's not the kind of guy you look for. It's not your defensive end is actually a really big dude, uh, a guy that can press and and pocket bust and even calling them an end is sort of a really loosely loosely applied term. um The the guys that end up on the edge of the line of scrimmage are linebackers and they have to be able to rush, but they have to, some. Uh, and it's not that they can't. That you know, it's not their. One of their top functions it is, uh, but they also need to be able to cover, set edges, move around. It, it's not a pass rush only role. So I think that is one of the things that really threw people off this year. Uh, you looked at what the Patriots are now doing. It's so much more of this five-man line stuff. It's called Diamond. We, we, it's the Diamond front. You'll see Houston in it. Houston ran it against the Patriots a good amount uh, in the playoffs. And that's no surprise with Romeo Cornell down there and Mike Vrabel and, and is and all those guys it's it's a very effective front and if your your roster makeup is 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 such you go with that more which puts the two inside guys the two big their defensive ends even though they're not on the end uh, it puts them down in the B gaps or, or, or you, you know, nearer in a tight shade of, of the tackle, something like that. And then has the hangover guys be linebackers. So that's what it is. So I, I don't panic is my point. Um, you know, I've, I've posted on Twitter several times, this version of a depth chart that shows it in a five man line. Um, and I think the thing that threw a lot of people off is not realizing that Dante Hightower was no longer a middle linebacker. He's one of those big on the edge outside linebacker guys, um, and I look at it now, and I feel really good about where this team is depth-wise. Uh, I think some of the transactions here, though, that happened during uh, during sort of cut-down times filled in some of the question marks we did have that we brought up on the preseason games. So uh, I, I think your opening day lineup, uh, this five-man line that I presume you'll see a whole bunch of, it doesn't mean you won't see some four. You'll see some four. But the notion here is you don't need a, a ton of depth at, at pure pass rush guys. Uh, some of these dual role guys can play the edge in a four-man line uh, and don't have to do it down after down after down they'll always use lots of packages but think of five as the lead so you know Allen Branch stud uh, comes in later in camp uh, when they get him up and rolling just walks in an absolute different maker (laughs) difference maker assume him at the nose assume him over center pressing really causing havoc uh, in the middle of that pocket uh you know Malcolm Brown is the other one Malcolm Brown is a similar body type not quite as big as Alan Branch but he's your other big that I think you can rely upon being a part of all of these rotations at one of those two interior defensive end spots um Lawrence Guy new guy from Baltimore he's looked great in camp uh but again he's listed as a defensive end or maybe they just say DL d lineman these days but Lawrence is, uh, you can basically call him a starter as well. I would say he's the third of the three bigs uh, behind those other two guys I just mentioned, but I I presume those three will be on like a little bit of a rotation, Uh, you know, and and any of those three can play in those spots and and will. So, you know, there's there's no cut and dried starter thing here. On opening day, will they come out with Malcolm Brown for the first snaps or will they come out with Lawrence Guy? I don't know. And I don't think it matters. I think they're all going to play. Um, and at the other spot, the other interior defensive end spot is your one super you know guy of old. Uh, pass rush guy but that can do a lot of different things and that's Flowers Uh, we've seen Trey Flowers really grow I think this is going to be an exceptional season for him that's not our that's no that's no big bold hot take Uh, it's just we've watched him grow he's playing he can be a double digit sack guy I think no problem but he's gonna play a little more of this interior role and think back to the five-man line stuff and how it may or may not have worked with uh, with Chandler Jones they tried him at some of that Chandler was You know, is a two fifty five, two sixty guy, a little bit similar size to to Trey Flowers, except he's just taller and thinner. Um, So Trey is the rare guy in the NFL, and there aren't a lot of these that can slide down to an inside gap and at two hundred sixty pounds not get washed down by tackles, can hold up, punch. He's really long. You know, got to interview him, spend some time with him here in this in the preseason, and really get respect for what he's all about. Uh, and it's—he's unusual. Guy's got giant hands, really broad shoulders, really thick. Even though he's not heavy, and um, that may not make a lot of sense. It's more of a, a first-hand thing, but. Uh, just understand that he's that one guy that allows you to bounce in and out of these fronts the most, and I'm I'm expecting a really big year out of him. But that sort of takes care of your interior stuff. Adam Butler from Vanderbilt, he was one of the great camp stories. I think he wins one of those jobs. Expect him to be on that interior rotation, maybe a backup there to Flowers, maybe to see some time on game day, maybe not. He might be one of your inactives. Uh, We don't really know that yet. Uh, Vincent Valentine, he's in there as well. Uh, probably the fourth big, I would count him, but uh, with a game day rule, I would presume. But he may be on that active inactive uh, line. We're, we're really not sure there. We'll see again on game day. Dietrich Wise, big week one camp story, uh, and then he got banged up, got his got his head knocked or neck or something along those lines in that first preseason game. And then we didn't see him again. So I think he's on the roster because I like him, but don't think of him as an ever over the edge guy. And Leicester in four man line, uh, he could play out there in that. But, but he's not a he's not a, he's not a fast and quick guy. He's a long power forward basketball player kind of dude. Press, uh, use your length, uh, keep the tackles off you, separate, make plays, but not racing around the corner kind of guy. So think of him again as the depth on the interior with with uh, with Trey Flowers. Uh, and the you know the, the Malcolm Brown Lawrence guy spot so uh, somewhere in that involvement but not out on the edge here with the rest of the outside linebackers and the five man stuff so that is Dante Hightower I think Dante returns and that's a huge a huge get you remember the big the big tackle in the Super League, the big sack in the Super Bowl that helped for those late drives to happen that was Dante Hightower and a five man line coming off the edge and uh, I think you're going to see a lot of him doing that this year and I think what provides for that is some of the roster changes they had the biggest among it being David Harris David Harris from the Jets comes over takes over the middle linebacker spot and I think his addition really allows the team to have the flexibility to use Dante where is best needed and and now it's it's back on that edge he's he's your new Mike Vrabel type or or, or Willie McGinnis however you want to look at it one of those spots Rosie Colvin uh, you know that's that's what I played that's you know that's I think that's where he's best served based upon their makeup now. Now in these old depth charts that I would tweet out uh, a couple weeks ago when this was sort of the the hottest topic about the in depth and all that. Uh, Shane McClellan I had as backup to Hightower. I, I figured he was next wave with these two outside linebacker spots. We now know he's on IR, so that's off the table. And Harvey Longy was the other sort of uh, rotational guy I had in there as a, as a next level guy behind Kyle Van Noy on the right side. And Longy had a really nice camp, a really active guy. Obviously, you can see the talent there. A good prospect, undrafted free agent, but one that was given a big chunk of money. So, uh, cons- you know, relatively so. Uh, so, we kind of thought that he had a really good shot at making a, a camp roster, and he played in a way that said, "Yeah, of course he's going to make a he's going to make that roster coming out of camp." And he did. So, it, count for him as one of those off the ball uh, guys, uh, edge of the line rushing. Doing whatever dropping he 's versatile uh, he 'll be fun to watch grow and we know landon Roberts is uh, another you know one of my one of my favorites, and people made a big deal of a couple couple missed tackles he had' absolutely so there were some there were some minuses in the preseason but if you, if you think that was his camp those those couple misses those few times where he he may, was maybe a little too aggressive in a in a gap. You missed about 100, 200, 300, whatever reps in the preseason. Not just in games, but in practices and in the joints. Uh, This guy's a hammerhead. He's a stud. Uh, He's not your coverage linebacker. I get that. You're not going to want him extended from the formation covering backs. But uh, on rundowns, uh, on box stuff, even when it's not necessary rundowns, he's a great guy to have in there. So I think he provides some great, great depth flexibility there at the middle linebacker spot. And again, allows for Hightower to not have to think he's a part of the middle, which is good for everyone. Uh, so the, the last part of this uh, that I'll hit on is the new guy, Marsh, from Seattle that they traded for and the new guy, Marquise Flowers, uh, from Cincinnati. Uh, we don't know a lot about either of them. I don't want to spend too much time on them because I haven't actually seen them play. But by, by profile, by reputation, Marsh is... Uh, is a 250 ish kind of guy, similar size to me, uh, which usually means you fit on it as an outside linebacker spot. They'll call it D end. They get in four man lines. Maybe he puts his hand down. Maybe he doesn't. But I uh, think of him as a depth guy where that McClellan spot otherwise would have been. And Flowers, he's not had much of a regular defensive role in his career. But his body type says linebacker, um, edge linebacker. Uh, but expect him more in special teams, but you can put him in there. Slot him in there as a depth guy, if you like, uh, for the outside stuff, and we'll just kind of see where it goes from there. Now, that kind of takes care of sort of that defensive uh, depth chart stuff. I, I I think the Patriots go in with a really, really, really nice uh, defensive depth across it. It's as good as you can get at 46, right? With with, with The roster's going to be tight here on 53, uh, so you can't you don't have – Three great guys at every position. You can never be that, but I feel really good about their group. I think this is going to be a nice year. There's a lot, not, not a lot of talk about the defensive side of the ball, but I think it's got a lot of potential. Uh, we'll see where it goes. Moving on to the next spot, receiver spot. Uh, this thing got re- resolved here, uh, in, you know, in the eleventh hour with the Philip Dorsett uh, trade with for Jacoby Brissett. I don't see a lot there, to be honest. Uh, And it's not to knock uh, Dorsett. It's just to say that, hey, this was purposefully a fifth receiver move. Uh, The fifth receiver move, don't expect it to be a huge role. I don't even know if that's necessarily going to be a week-in, week-out activation thing. Just arrived. How quickly can he learn the offense? It's a lot different here than what they're doing in Indianapolis. So, you know, maybe at some point, you know, everyone knows his 40-time, and everyone knows he was drafted in the first round. So you immediately go into what I view as kind of the hot takey stuff about this new, you know, two-man vertical team of him and Brandon Cooks, and people immediately forget about Chris Hogan. And just uh, in my view, Philip Dorsett comes in as potential, uh, much like Jacoby, the guy he was traded for, uh, potential, but not a day-to-day use guy. So Philip Dorsett, he's going to have to learn the offense. I have no idea when he'll get integrated here. Uh, Maybe week one, maybe they throw him on the roster and have a couple packages for him. He runs a go route, post route, something simple. But I'd, I'd count that as less likely. I'd count that as they they wanted to fill the cupboard with some more talent uh, with the wide receiver group, especially with Julian going down. And they didn't. They felt like this person was more talented than some of the depth. Options they had, we had the conversation about Austin Carr and Devin Lucian. They went another way. They said, "You know what? Our practice squad guys are going to be a notch below this, and we can get this in a song uh, at what a price that we like uh, because Jacoby's value is really high." Just knocked it out of the park in the last preseason game, and we can get a former first that we think we can make better use of here. So that's what happened. But I don't think uh, turn that into go route guy on week one. Uh, I think there's, there's a lot more to that and they'd like to teach him to be a wide receiver so it can be a, a bigger part of the puzzle, but we'll see where that goes. I don't think it's a big today thing. Also mentioned the Brissette thing to me that says Jimmy's here. I don't think Jimmy G is going anywhere now because there's just been too much time and money invested. I've talked about this ad nauseum <laughs> on, on Nesson, uh, and even the broadcast about how the team's cap situation is sits sits really, really well, uh, really, really good because, uh, you know what it's they're they're the one team that that comes back i think if you look hard at the roster right now uh 22 starters on opening day that we'll see uh 20-ish maybe 19 arguably right around that range a real high 18 19 20 of the, the the current starters of the patriots are under contract without big jumps a year from now so i think it's one of the few rosters that could absorb a giant hit like say jimmy g as a as a, as a as a franchise tag. And, you know, it sounds crazy. Uh, people will try to make it into a drama thing about, you know, Tom Brady not making less than his backup and all that. I think the egos are kind of out the door at this point. That doesn't matter. If they can fit him in they keep him around uh, for an extended period of time, maybe they can convince him to do a deal and say, hey, you're the future uh, and get that number down a little more modest. I don't know if Jimmy would be willing to do it, but I think the big message here is that uh, – they didn't feel the need to keep Jacoby for that insurance, even though they liked him. They did like him quite a bit. Uh, but they didn't feel the need to keep him around as insurance, uh, which tells me they don't have any intention of letting Jimmy go. So we'll see where it goes. Uh, and it doesn't really matter much for week one. So on to the next thing. Special teams. I, you know, Obviously, this is my baby. This is stuff I like to talk about. But I think the addition of of Marquise Flowers, of the cornerback that they traded for from the Lions uh, that they took up onto the roster instead of Kenny Moore, which, you know, I was a big Kenny Moore fan in, in preseason. He's back on the practice squad. And I think he's a guy that we should all watch. And don't be surprised that when he moves up off the practice squad and, and starts contributing on special teams here at some point. But in the interim, they go with a veteran that's that's a much more known of a hawk on special teams. And it's going to be interesting to see how that all fleshes out. But the thing that uh, that was odd to me, and you know, is – having been a special teams captain in the league and had been, you know, veteran with this group, with me and Izzo and, and Don Davis and Gerard Cherry and, and Patrick Pass and all, all of our guys, we were big on continuity and, you know, much like an offensive line is. You know, we, we, you you get your core group of, of six to seven to eight guys that are always on the teams and then they fill in those edges with some of the starters. But it's just as important, I, in my view, at least in my experience, to, to have those guys working together, you know, for all those preseason games and for all the camp practices, because special teams is just a big chaotic, uh, uh, but inevitably coordinated dance down the field. You all got to spread and win your little battle and get out in space and go tackle a crazy fast guy got the football and space to work with but you need to have gap integrity lane integrity excuse me so um, you know making sure one guy's not getting beaten out of whack with the other so I'm it's one area that I would put a big sort of uh, flag on uh, to see where it goes in this first month because of so many of the guys being injured it's not because they're not good players man they, I, they've got a lot of good special teams players in this roster but because we you know Rex Burkhead had, had a great Game against Houston, then sat for a bit. We didn't see a lot of them, and I, I presume he's going to have a big special teams role. Uh, Nate Ebner was banged up. I believe it was with a head thing. Uh, so we didn't see a ton of him, and we know how important he is. Brandon King didn't see a ton of him. He was banged up. Ma- Matthew Slater didn't see a ton of him. He was he was banged up. Um, you know, and then they bring in a couple new guys here to, to work with special teams that have resumes that said that they've done it before. But now you've got a mix of four, five, six, seven, eight guys all in one configuration together but that haven't yet done it much together and you're going against Tyree Kill on week 1. So that says to me uh hey uh <laughs> Ryan the punter uh hang that up there and uh let's not see returns, you know. Uh, so we'll, we'll keep an eye on this. ton of talent on this Patriots special teams unit. Uh, I love that they've invested in that area, but we haven't got to see them together. So tamper the expectations a little bit until they've got some time to work. Uh, moving on, let's do this uh, tight end situation. It was Hollister. Uh, keeping the Hollister twin around was an absolute surprise. He had that huge week one preseason game and then was made a play or two here or there from there on in the rest of the preseason. But, uh, you know, is light on blocking um and just I, I was open about not thinking it was a huge need uh and was a little curious to see them go with a third tight end i think he's a game day inactive, uh for a while but man he did show promise and and patriots love that they love to work with a guy that's tough that's hard working uh that wants to be a part of it and you know i didn't predict it but predictions are like assholes. we all got them it's not they're not terribly valuable so uh you know let's put it this way uh i didn't see it coming I can understand the rationale behind doing it. Uh, he's a nice prospect and uh, gives you some nice depth there. Uh, but I don't think it'll play a lot in, in week one stuff. Um, moving on to the offensive line, Cole Croston. What a great story that was. Uh, guy, wins a, guy wins an interior offensive interior offensive line job after being a walk-on at the University of Iowa, who works his way up to finally being a starting tackle uh, at, at Iowa, uh, who then goes to the NFL and is asked to play guard and wins a gig, uh, wins a 53-man spot. And again, I have to sort of full disclosure here on all fronts here, uh, say that this guy's from Sergeant Bluff, Iowa, which is a little suburb of, of Sioux City, Iowa, which is where I'm from. His dad, Dave croston is a longtime NFL guy, played for the Packers, uh, big-time player at the University of Iowa. Uh, you know, sort of a legacy guy in my hometown, as far as one of the dudes that, that, that really made it far was a really big, you know, really good player in both college and the NFL. And his son comes along and uh, doesn't have quite the pedigree, but has just known to be a grinder that proves people wrong and works his way up the ladder and makes it. And it looks like he did it, that here with the Patriots as well. And and I did study some tape on him and I'll, I'll say this in full disclosure, I didn't see it yet. I thought this is the kind of guy that Dante Scarnacchia latches onto. You can see his effort. You can see his frame is good, but got knocked around a little bit. Uh, was a little bit inconsistent, but you expect it. It wasn't to knock him. It's just that you know it, this is a guy that may be a good player for you three, you know, in, in two or three years. Uh, but they thought. Uh, and I think this is really telling that they couldn't subject him to waivers, you know, keep him on the roster. He can help us now. Uh, if nothing, if for nothing more than his versatility, we, we know that at least at the collegiate level, he could pop out and play tackle. Didn't have to do it much here yet, uh, but he can be a guard backup. Uh, he can be um, a, a tackle backup potentially. So brought some immediate value and Scar gets to work with him. So, Awesome story there. Really happy for him. And uh, we'll see where that goes moving forward. But, again, I don't think it, it's got much to do with your week one against the Chiefs. Uh, and that, that, to me, sort of wraps the biggest uh, storylines. The punt returner thing uh, is going to resolve itself. I don't think it's worth spending a ton of time on. Obviously, Cyrus Jones get injured, gets injured. Edelman's down two. We obviously know that. Uh, Danny Amendola field punts. He's done it in the past. No big deal. He'll be out there. So, uh, again, I think he'll do a fine job, and there's not much reason to, to – just to, to really worry about it, he'll field it cleanly. They'll make plays, and his health is no longer is no more at risk out doing that than it is running across and route getting hit that way. So, uh, wipe that from your mind. So, moving on, we're done with camp. We're into we're into the regular season. You got a roster. Those are your Patriots. You should feel damn good about it. All of the sixteen and zero, or excuse me, you know nineteen and zero. Whatever the undefeated talk of of the of the off season, I think was in part because of people. Loving the strength of their roster. Strength of your roster hasn't changed. The one tick is no more Julian. That's a big knock, but I think they've really buffered themselves all up around the edges of this 53. It's a really good 53. You love going to the season with this kind of crew, uh, especially now not having to carry a third quarterback and being able to juice yourself in another spot. Uh, Depth on this team, I think is awfully good. So the enthusiasm, what the record will be, gives a rat's ass. doesn't matter. Trophies is all that matters. Rings, all that matter. Uh, but uh, you 're going to like your roster, so as long as things stay healthy so let 's move on now to some guest talk and uh, i 'm bringing on Brady Quinn here, Brady Quinn, my buddy, uh, from you know all over the NFL. He works at Sirius XM has his own radio show there with Bruce Murray, uh, does big time college football games for Fox, and works in st- studio with CBS always there with a finger on the pulse of the national scene and we 're going to use him to talk a little bit about who really exists as threats for the Patriots. And here's Brady. All righty, and as promised, welcoming to the show our football-by-football buddy, Brady Quinn. Brady, I'll go ahead and let you plug because you are all over the place, obviously with your show on Axiom, but already starting into college football there on Fox. Where can people out there find you?
1: Yeah, SiriusXM NFL Radio, Mondays through Wednesdays. We're on from 11 a.m. Eastern to 3 p.m. Eastern. And then uh, I'm usually calling college football games this time of year for Fox. <clears throat> um, and then outside of that, you know, I'll do some NFL games at the end of the year. And then I do some work for CBSSports.com covering uh, college and, and NFL football. So that's going to be starting up here soon as well. So busy time of year, but obviously a ton of fun just following football, no matter what level it's at.
0: Yeah, we love it, and you got yourself one of those eight day a week schedules, which is perfect for this time of year. So, uh, let's let's dive in, and, and I'll you know, pro, full disclosure here: the reason I, I thought we had to have you on here for this opening Patriots podcast was because you get that you know league wide national view much more so than I do. I live in the tunnel here in Foxborough, you know, basically doing so much New England work that I. Don't often get to look at who the competitors can be unless they're on the schedule next. So, you doing that show on on Sirius XM really gets you a chance to talk to callers from all over the country, look at all thirty two teams. So, we kind of wanted to sort of pitch this off as we head into the season, which you know, quite frankly, is what a lot of Patriots fans are going to be concerned with. They're, well, they're they're of the frame of mind with all these championships, and I guess kind of reasonable to maybe being a, a Lakers fan in the eighties or. Celtics in the 80s or you know Yankees in the 90s or whatever it was and those situations where you want enough of them where you start looking to who's going to challenge us this year as opposed to how's my team's going to be I think the presumption is they'll be good who we got to worry about so we thought you'd be the guy to bring on and talk about that so let's start on the AFC side of the draw obviously you got to get through there before you you end up in a Super Bowl or any of those kind of dreams. So when you're looking at the AFC, and again, I'm I'm half presuming that we're, we're sort of uh, both above the same mind that the Patriots are one of those teams out there to be. But if that's the case, who in the AFC, in your view, provides a, a realistic challenge to that team?
1: I honestly think, um, you know, based on really going through the schedules, going through the rosters and looking at the teams and their current scenarios, There's really only one team in the AFC, in my opinion, and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think when you look at that team, when they're healthy, when they're full strength, and if their defense continues to make improvements like they did in the second half of last year, they're the only team that I think can potentially compete with the New England Patriots this year. Uh, A lot of people are on that hype train for the Oakland Raiders. I've got a a couple concerns. Uh, The first is their defense and being able to stop What's going to be, uh, I think, a fairly productive passing game offense for the New England Patriots. I mean, just trading now for Philip Dorset to add another speedster on the outside next to Brandon Cooks and all the other weapons that they have on offense. Uh, I, I can't imagine the Oakland Raiders' secondary is going to be able to match up. I mean, I don't want to take too much away from the preseason, but you would have figured that we would have seen the strides that, you know, really a lot of the Oakland Raiders fans are hoping for out of that defense, at least in preseason, the limited snaps that they took, and you really didn't see that. And the pass rush was something that, was there at times, and there were some sacks that came in bunches for Cleo Mack, but it wasn't consistent. So they've got got some issues in Oakland I think they need to figure out before before the season even starts. Kind of curious to see how Marshawn Lynch is going to fit into that scheme um, because it seems to be a pass-first offense. Marshawn Lynch hasn't really experienced that throughout his career from his time with the Buffalo Bills and then going to the Seattle Seahawks. So kind of curious to see if the Oakland Raiders take a step back or if they're going to be as dominant as they were and take that next step and really be able to compete with the New England Patriots. So those are truly the only two teams in the AFC map that I really see as far as their roster that could potentially compete. And legitimately, I really think it's only the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I think the Raiders still have to kind of prove it to me, or at least in my opinion, because of how many yards and how many points I think that defense can give up from time to time.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So you got concerns with the Oakland Raiders defense. I'm, I'm thinking I'm there with you. And this is from total, you know, view from 10,000 feet from me, just looking across the country, paying attention a little bit to the offseason stories, checking their preseason scores. That's about it, which isn't terribly helpful. Maybe just watching those handful of series that they get together with the top groups and then projecting for it. I don't have a lot on that like you do, but I, I've been relatively. Settle down there, sort of pat on the head kind of feeling with Oakland. Uh, And again, you know, full disclosure, again, I've always been sort of a Raiders fan. So when I'm not cheering, I don't know if I'm cheering for the Patriots, but covering the Patriots, I like to see the Raiders do well. But I still have some sort of hesitation about that team. Now, you brought up Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is probably also the team that locally gets mentioned the most. uh, But one of the difficult things, well, not difficult, I guess, around here, I think sort of the air of confidence that comes with that is – how pittsburgh looked in that afc championship game a year ago Le'Veon bell doesn't get a preseason maybe that doesn't matter maybe he'll be fine uh we all know martavius bryant comes back which should be a nice addition they had some movement i think sammy coates is off the roster now some of the depth wide receivers have changed and gone out the door uh who or, okay we, you you sort of meant it in relation to their defense and their defense improving one of the big you know sort of uh, storylines around here though was just the way that sort of spot drop and match uh defense that they played really didn't work a lot of blown coverage stuff now they've publicly discussed that you know we're gonna we're gonna try to play more man we're gonna play more match stuff we realize it was stupid you won't see that kind of game plan against them uh, next time so so in that sort of framework what What is it that you think Pittsburgh does or that they've advanced in, in this, this next season where they could close the gap?
1: Well, I think the biggest thing that they have going for them is continuity with their stars. And this is obviously assuming that Le'Veon Bell is, is going to be back and be as productive as he was last year. But, you know, Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, I think as much as you want to think that you, know, you can come up with a game plan to stop those two guys – one of them's going to hurt you. And I think, you know, we've seen from the New England Patriots in the past, at least last year, you know, typically they take away your first two options. It's a really hard to do that with Le'Veon Bell because he's so versatile. And I think that's what you see, or at least that's what you saw the New England Patriots do this past year in bringing in guys like Rex Burkhead and they have James wide, they have Dion Lewis, you know, running backs who can run the football, catch the football, split out wide, run routes like a wide receiver. I mean, that's what Le'Veon Bell is. He's just a bigger, better version than all of them. So then you look at the wide receiver as far as Antonio Brown. You mentioned Martavius Bryant. They've obviously got Juju Smith-Schuster, who had a pretty solid preseason, in my opinion, their second-round pick out of yeah. USC. Still have Darius Haywood Bay. And, oh, by the way, they actually traded for Vance McDonald at tight end. And I know they had Jesse James, but McDonald's the one that I actually think, when you look at his size and skill set, he could be something that I think the Steelers have missed for quite some time, really since Heath Miller. So not only, one, do you have to worry about some of those options on the outside and where Le'Veon Bell is, now you've got that tight end that you really have to be concerned with in some of the play-action-pass game. And that you know, really, I guess, release valve kind of over the middle whenever Ben gets in trouble. I think Vance McDonald's going to have a big year if he can learn the system in time. And that's the issue. I think the Steelers force the Patriots to all of a sudden maybe have to play a little bit. where they're not going to be able to match you know, their, their top two guys and then be able to say, well, you know, beat us with your third and fourth guy. Because I think their third and fourth guy you know, may be pretty good.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I'm so happy you went to the Vance McDonald thing. That was one of those transaction things where I was like, oh, you know what, that's smart. You know, they, they whiffed on green. Uh, that didn't end up being something that they wanted to stick with. Uh, Toussaint leaves at the back position, and then D'Angelo Williams is no longer with him. So, I, I was starting to look at some of those depth areas and say, okay, young guys whose names I don't know. That doesn't mean they can't be really good to fill in those slots. But one of the vacancies I thought they had on their team, and you mentioned, is having having Heath Miller be gone now uh, and having tight end really not be much of a threat. I think that helps when when you're a linebacker, and you know, you're a lot of times you're you're counting three on two, three linebackers on the two backs, or 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 back and tight end, whoever you, you, you think is the greatest threat, but when the tight end was often not that threat, or he's more of a, a block first, because he's not often targeted, it makes it a lot easier, I think, to go after a guy like Le'Veon Bell, because you can chip him, you can do a lot of the things, because you're not preoccupied with the other dude, especially when you have three out two, you get the one free guy, so uh, you can oversell a little bit, just, you know, the dude's so dangerous, but I was a little bit, uh, curious here so uh, again i'm kind of i'm going to push back over to the other side of the ball and then we'll get off of pittsburgh but defensively what what are they you know sort of what was the feeling coming out of camp or what was the feeling from their preseason performances it might mean nothing we I, we all understand that but what is it that they're doing or at least internally saying that they do better that could close that gap other than just hey we'll we'll call some different coverages next time around
1: yeah, I don't even know that it's so much they're going to call some different coverages. I think they're good with you know the style of defense that they play under Keith Butler, you know, their defensive coordinator. I think it's just a matter of getting more pressure. If you go back to last year, they had a number of injuries up front that it really affected the continuity of their starting lineups and of their ability to get penetration, get push, and get pressure on opposing quarterbacks. I mean, Stefan Tua missed some time. Uh, Javon Hargrave missed some time. Cameron Hayward even missed a little bit of time. So, you know, if those guys are all back healthy, and if Bud Dupree continues to progress like he did last year where he really showed up in the playoff game versus the Dolphins, uh, and, and, again, if if their secondary can continue to improve, and, and now all of a sudden you've got a guy in T.J. Watt who kind of fits their scheme too, and he's kind of flashed a little bit. I mean, look what they've done in their secondary. Not only do they draft Cameron Sutton out of Tennessee, who, who looks to be the part, he was a third-round pick, but they just tra- they just got Joe Hayden after he was you know, released by the Browns. I mean, he's a for-sure lockdown cover corner. They drafted Artie Burns in the first round. He really progressed last year. I mean, my biggest concern with this team, I think we've seen in the past, especially with the New England Patriots, when they've picked on some of the safeties for the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's It's Mike Mitchell, really good in-the-box safety, not so great in coverage. Sean Davis is going into his second-year, their second-round pick from last year. I think he still needs a little bit of – uh, seasoning and continue to improve, uh, but that's going to be the weak spot of their defense, but again, if they can get pressure, especially with the group that they have up front and they can cover down on the outside, you know maybe it's not going to be so easy to be able to pick on those guys and hold on the football for as long as I think we've seen and really in past years we've seen the New England Patriots be able to do
0: yeah i'm I'm interested that you yeah, were happy excuse me for for the Joe Hayden comment because i you know he i I'm sort of a fence sitter there, you would know that guy great from you know you 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 keeping your interest in the Browns and things like that. And I know that he's had injury issues over the last couple of years, but you still kind of assume that pedigree still kind of assume that even if, you know, top end speed isn't quite the same, he's savvy as all get out. And he, he does match up pretty well at some of the Patriots who are non burners, you know, man, maybe like a Malcolm Mitchell or something Something where you just have an opportunity now to wipe a guy off the board and let some of those younger guys play in some of the combo coverages. I think it'll be interesting to see how he fits in that thing. And I think it's also really interesting, and you know this from the Browns' perspective, that he goes he goes free agency and immediately the first team that he's interested in
1: is that that rival. I mean, <laughs> you it's can just, see them week one. Yeah, I, mean, how, I know. Isn't how, it crazy? How, just, how awkward is that? Week one, they have to go up against them and Unfortunately, especially with the, the wide receiver group that they have in Cleveland, I mean, I, I think they're going to miss him dearly. And and if anyone knows their system and their route concepts and all that, it's going to be Joe Aiden. So unless they're going right. to, you know, put in a bunch of you know double move routes and all that, I, I would suspect he'd have a pretty good game.
0: Well, it's like it's I don't know I don't know if this is the best analogy, but it's like you've been. You know, married your wife for years and years and years and you, you get into a, a midlife divorce in your 30s or something and the next morning you're dating her sister you know it's like that's like wait a minute <laughs> that quick you know like you just use you, your spent the last however uh, many years of your life hating these guys and oh i wanted them all along no but just just give a hard time but anyway okay so we need to flip to the other side so we don't keep you here too long i, I love the idea of well it just trying to share with you because i know you get that national perspective better but again people here i think are looking where's the threat where's that real threat and i think so i'll just throw names against the wall and then you'll give me whatever it is you think is real and and plausible in here but we know that you know the falcons were obviously there a year ago and at one point led this team by 25 points uh you know uh, we all know how it ended but you know it's it's very difficult to come back a year after but i would imagine they're at least plausibly in the mix Seahawks mm, that Sheldon Richardson ah, Sheldon Richardson thing kind of made some uh antennas around here go up and say oh okay is this uh you know Seattle defense of old scary Seattle defense and you know maybe maybe we ought to keep our eye on them a little bit more and New York Giants you know I think people respect the offense especially Brandon Marshall going over there savvy vet defense is good uh Vikings we just don't know where the offense is going to be got the nice new back in Dalvin Cook Kind of expect the defense to still be great. Panthers bounce back gear. Cam's healthy. They get McCaffrey. He's exciting and new. Uh, Bucks. that's kind of the fad pick, at least to, I don't know, we're not we are talking here challenge Patriots, but I think at least to maybe be a playoff team. Cowboys, man, that Ezekiel thing is sort of a cloud that sits over that whole situation. But uh, there's a list of, of sort of a throw it against the walls. If you were to peel one off the wall and find a couple or one or whatever that you really think could – could make some hay here.
1: Well, who would it be? Okay, well, let's work by process of elimination. So I'm going to take some of the teams that you mentioned. I'm going to tell you why I don't think they're going to be able to meet New England in the Super Bowl because I ultimately do believe New gotcha. England will get to a Super Bowl oh, if they stay healthy. Sorry um, to interrupt you, I mean, dude. looking at sorry to interrupt no, you, dude.
0: I left the Packers off that list, and I think the Packers are should should obviously be on that list. So sorry about that. Yeah, throw them in the throw no, them against no the wall as well.
1: And, and they're going to be one of the three teams I'm going to mention, uh, and really maybe four. But, you know, you mentioned Dallas. I, I don't think Dallas is going to have as good of a season this year. I just think for Dak Prescott to take the next step that he needs to, uh, I think there's going to be more put on his plate, especially if Ezekiel Elliott's not there. Uh, and, and even if Ezekiel Elliott comes back and plays, it's really not even about their offense. I don't know if their defense can do what they did last year and be able to survive – uh, and, and have as much of production, I think, as far as stopping the run and, and turning, getting turnovers and just playing good defense. I mean, Rod and Marinelli has been able to work wonders. Uh, I just I kind of see them reverting back to the mean, and I, I don't think they're going to be as good as they were a year ago. And they've got a really, really tough schedule. The Panthers are the ones that are interesting because I don't think they're as bad as they, they seemed last year. I mean, to be last in the NFC South after going 15-1 and the year before and going to the Super Bowl, I think it surprised everyone. So the only issue I have with them is I don't know, as far as a matchup versus the New England Patriots, if you know, they would be able to exploit any weaknesses of the Patriots. And I actually think the Patriots would be able to exploit some of their weaknesses. And that's really, they don't have great edge pressure. They get a good push from the interior of the pocket, but not great edge pressure. Their secondary is still, uh, it, it's growing, it's maturing, they're getting better. Uh, I don't know if they really wow you, though, as far as their coverage ability. And I think there's maybe some things they could take advantage of. And, look, I I think New England does a great job of, you know, forcing quarterbacks to have to do, you know, what they're worst at. And I think they will probably make Cam Newton have to play from the pocket, not be able to use his legs and running ability. So I don't know that that's going to be a good matchup. And I don't know that they necessarily get there anyway. So that leaves us with these teams, the Giants, the Falcons, the Seahawks, and the Packers. So Packers – They've got a great shot because of their quarterback. My concern is this. When we've seen the Patriots falter in the Super Bowl, it's been because of defense. It's been because of the pass rush. The Packers bet on Clay Matthews as well as Nick Perry, who had a great year last year. double digit sacks, got you know, rewarded with a nice contract. They're hoping that those guys can continue to play at a high level and then get more push from the interior of the pocket. I think Montrevious Adams, their third-round pick, could potentially add there. If they can do that combined with some of the pieces that they drafted, Kevin King in the second round, as well as Josh Jones' at safety and some of the pieces they already had, I think they feel like their defense will be improved and they can maybe challenge them. And I think they can if that's the case. But it's still a lot of question marks. And, and even more than that, you know, this is a, this is a Green Bay team that's going to have to fight through the NFC South. And you know, we'll see if they're able to, one, remain healthy. They weren't last year. And if they can continue to keep being a one-dimensional team, largely just throwing the football. I mean, maybe Tom Montgomery will have a better year this year running the football as he's converted full-time to running back. Uh, Or maybe Jamal Williams, their fourth-round pick, will step up, or Aaron Jones, or whoever else. Uh, But at this point in time, I think the thing against them is they're predictable on offense because we know they're going to trust Aaron Rodgers to win the game every time, and I don't trust them on defense. So even though I think Green Bay has a chance of making it there because of Aaron Rodgers, I don't know, again, that the matchup's great. Now, Seattle, Atlanta, and New York Giants, those are the teams that I think you have to focus on and say if you're a New England fan, they present some problems. They've got great edge rushers as well as interior rushers. And I think Atlanta, with their draft pick of Tack McKinley in the first round, only got better. I think he's only going to help Vic Beasley get better because of his speed off the edge, and he's demonstrated that in the preseason. And they added more depth on their defense, so they actually aren't really hurt that bad if they you know, have some injuries to certain spots. Uh, New York Giants have the same thing. With Seattle Seahawks, they have the same thing. So those three teams, I think, present tough matchups for this New England offense because largely – even if they give up points i i think we feel like they would be to outscore most point, uh, most opponents because of how explosive they are and they've got the best quarterback in the game in Tom Brady well if, if he all of a sudden becomes a sitting duck back there that could be an issue so then you start to look at their offense i think because seattle is trying to kind of get back to you know what got them to a super bowl really won them a super bowl in 2013 and got them to another one versus new england in 2014 i think they've got a shot it just depends with their offensive line and their protection george the left tackle he's out for the season not that that means a ton, but it breaks up the continuity they would have had on their offensive line. That was really something they were touting the whole offseason. Atlanta, it really comes down to Matt Ryan. Can he play at an MVP level? Or is he going to kind of revert back to where he was before then, where you know maybe it felt like he gambled too much, through one too many interceptions at an inopportune time? That's going to be the biggest question mark, because they do have a change of offensive coordinator. Steve Sarkeesian's now calling the plays. And you know was it Kyle Shanahan or was it Matt Ryan? We're going to get to find out. And then right. finally, New York Giants their offensive line is just bad, so yep. that's that's another team that I think is one dimensional. they have got great pass catchers on the outside, not much of a running game. they're not going to be able to protect Eli so the chances are it's potentially going to be Atlanta, Seattle or Green Bay in my opinion versus the Patriots, and I still think they match up very favorably
0: well, sort of one going away thought here, and it, you know it, we do this every year where we talk about sort of the opening day rosters. Uh, relative to who we think is going to be on the team. Uh, and also, we, we slot in some of these draft picks. And you think, hey, that, that might buffer them in a little bit in this spot or that spot. Uh, but in the case of the Patriots, they were one of those teams that uh, was, you know, everyone loved them uh, throughout the offseason. But they have, you know, a, a key core guy and Julian Edelman. Uh, Nails just goes down with the ACL. Now, I, I think still uh, consensus view around here is that We've been towny depth, so depth was their strength. They're still deep, uh, and you know they won a Super Bowl without the best tight end in football. So you know, if their best wide receiver goes down, they should be able to weather that as well via depth. So the reason I bring that up is is in that same context, where a team that we're putting here in the in the conversation, but loses a pretty core guy of any of these teams that we've been speaking about. Now we can open it up to basically AFC, NFC, any of these teams that have had their own sort of key injury that might change your mind slightly so we're one to keep an eye on because maybe he's nicked up you mentioned left tackle it for Seattle anything else in any of those groups where it's like man I had them nipping at the heels of New England but this situation sort of warrants uh, uh you know keeping an eye out
1: Seattle's really the only one that comes to mind at the moment I think again the Ezekiel Elliott suspension is going to be big too if right. they don't have him regardless of what people think about you know, that offensive line. And don't get me wrong, they're one of the best in the NFL. You know, I think that's – thats he's a difference maker, bottom line. Look right. at his yards per attempt versus the other running backs. The other thing I wonder with the Oakland Raiders is, you know, Donald Penn, which I know he's reported now. Yeah. But you see sometimes when guys stay out all camp and then they come back in late and they want a new contract. And this is the blindside left tackle for Derek Carr. They can't afford to lose Derek Carr. And they can't afford to be, you know – uh, arguing or upset with their left tackle, who obviously wants a new contract and more security. So I kind of wonder how he'll play this year. He kind of played at a Pro Bowl level last year, um, but you know, will he be able to sustain that level of play at his age? I believe he's 33, 34 years old. That's not necessarily aging for a tackle, but right. you know, at that point in time, you, you do wonder if he can maintain um, the ability to play at such a high level that old. Um, so, so I'm kind of you know wondering how that's going to impact them. Um, you know, outside of that, you know, really you look at Atlanta's roster for the most part, I have to go back and check over again, but you know, they seem to be pretty healthy for the most that's part. Right. I haven't seen anyone really go down. So, again, that's the team that, you know, again, I, I kind of look at and say they've got the roster. They've got the team speed. It's just, it's it's a matter of the, I guess, the offense, the play calling, the in-game play calling, if they're going to put too much on Matt Ryan's shoulders and if that's going to take too long for them to kind of develop a rapport between Steve Sarkeesian and Matt Ryan.
0: Well, you know me and – you, you and and Brady Papenga, This is this is a player friendly show. So we, I, we just want to see players do well. It's it's not really picking a yeah. picking a squad necessarily. But I'm I'm saying this just as in sort of greater context. I'm not wishing an injury. I'm not going to wood here to Le'Veon Bell. I do not. You know. I I want to see a guy have a healthy full season. Go out and break the bank. But I do. I, he's a name I would bring up, uh, just maybe more by profile, not him personally. But any time a top high end back who has been nicked up a bit in his career, he's had a hard time stringing them all together. But when he plays, good lord, he's he's one of the best out there. Uh, I'm curious with him because he is so crucial to that offense, and because he missed an entire summer essentially uh it, it's just one of those things when you see a situation like that has a bit of a history already misses all the time is absolutely critical and key to what uh, what a team does and if he pulls a groin in week three i don't think anyone would be surprised you know or hammy not major injury just the kind of nagging thing those things kind of tend to happen when when guys choose to go this round i'm not Going against him for choosing, night. he's trying to leverage the team into a contract and didn't work. Now he gets a franchise tag at least, but um, I think that's one of the situations a little sim not not the same as Ezekiel. Obviously, Ezekiel's is through suspension, but something there where if for some reason they don't have his full participation, getting back to challenge New England could be could be difficult as well. So hey, we're heading here into Week One, Brady. And uh, I, I just want to know: Is this sort of heads out? Is there a favorite matchup here? You have uh, non-Patriots related that that, uh, that you're going to keep your eye on.
1: Well, look, growing up in uh, Columbus, Ohio, and you, um, you know being a Browns fan all my life, I, I got to tell you, it, it's always that, that Cleveland Pittsburgh rivalry. I mean, there's so <laughs> much hatred, and and you you know you don't see it a lot of times in the NFL. You know, you see it maybe in Ohio State, Michigan, in college football, and right. you know, cops are pulling people over just because they have the wrong license plate. and they are <laughs> in the wrong state and get them tickets for going one mile a mile an hour over. But right. it's kind of like that between Pittsburgh and Cleveland. And I really do, you know, think Cleveland's made enough strides where I'm not saying they're necessarily, you know, cu- closing the gap on Pittsburgh. I do think they are in the division, and so I'm curious to see how. You know, my, my boy Deshaun Kaiser does out of Notre Dame, a quarterback, yeah. since he got the start. I'm curious to see how Miles Garrett and Jabril Peppers play. I mean, they they were exciting in preseason. They, they won, won all four games, for whatever that matters. And I'm kind of curious to see what they look like versus, you know, arguably one of the best teams in the AFC. So that's the one I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing most uh, for many reasons, uh, but maybe just because I was, you know, a childhood fan of the Browns and kind of hated the Steelers. Right.
0: And I like that you went that way, too, because I think in week one, it's not so much about who's going to win the Super Bowl. It's kind of which offseason story sort of comes to fruition. Do these guys improve? You know, they're so creative and different with the way they put the roster together. You know, I think some of those compelling stories of guys coming out of the draft, Deshaun Kaiser was, uh, you know, not trying to knock your Notre Dame guy, but he was not in a sure thing. I mean, uber talented, yeah. but I don't think it was a slam dunk that, you know, uh, that, that he was going to come be a day one starter. So I think that's a bit of an upset. And, yeah, it's just interesting to watch because you've had so many high draft picks come through there in the last couple of years that now you can see them all play. What's you know It's going to be a young team, but how are they are going to be and getting to do it against the rivals on week one can't beat that. So, all right, man, thanks for stopping by. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you later.
1: Looking forward to it.
0: See you, dude. Some great stuff there by Brady Quinn. Gives you the macro view. Big picture on what threats lie ahead for the Patriots. Uh, they got to plow through their own schedule, but who he thinks will be uh, sort of last man standing that could stand in the Patriots' way. Some great insight there. Uh, Now let's move to micro view. Let's move back to boots on the ground and take a peek at uh, what lies before the Patriots' in the here and now that's obviously the Kansas City Chiefs coming up here soon and I thought who better than to uh, sort of preview these guys to give us a deeper look on that roster than someone who played there and not only someone who played there but someone who's also local and has a little bit of a uh, New England view to boot uh that means one of my old teammates with <clears throat> the Jets Mike DeVito uh here's Mike as promised, I'm joined here by my former teammate and a local dude made good, uh, former Massachusetts kid that went up to the University of Maine, became a Black Bear, had a Hall of Fame career up there, and then played nine years in the NFL. This is Mike DeVito. Uh, Mike is now uh, doing the you know, color commentary for the Black Bears for the football season, did it a year ago, and also works during the week for 92.9 The Ticket, doing some football segments there as well. I'm happy to be joined by my former Jets teammate, that's a billion years ago, but Mike DeVito, what's up, buddy? How are you doing?
2: Matt, what's up, brother? Thanks for having me on, man. Are you sure your fans want to listen? To a, a Jets player on here because you 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 won the Super Bowls in New England, and, you know. So you you have cloud down there. But I don't know if they want to hear just a, a, a Jets player, Jets Jets Chiefs player on here
0: right now. You know, it's it's a mixed bag, dude. You're still a Mass kid. You're still a New England kid. Absolutely. Being up from Maine, you now you're working in the Maine environment. I don't know that they, they put up with me after my three years down there. So I think
2: you'll okay. be okay.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, obviously, fans out there, you know, this is the new Patriots podcast that we're doing here on football by football and and, and we're really sort of hyper focused on on the, the, the teams they're playing and some of my connections around the league for guys that have played at these places and uh, with kansas city chiefs being on week one here for the patriots this thursday this big thursday night game uh, i thought there was nobody better to get on here than mike devito and mike is like you said he was uh you know i think it's apropos that he played for the bears he was a bit of a bear himself just a big strong interior defensive lineman dude um, you know, scrapped his way through the NFL, became a star at his team, really great run defender, a guy that, uh, you know, I got to see grow as a young player. So it's kind of cool for me to have you on because you were a part of that uh, 2015 team, uh, Chiefs team that played in the divisional round here against Patriots. I believe that was your last professional game, correct? You retired the next uh, spring? Is that Yes, accurate?
2: I retired that spring, Manny, and uh, I think if you watch that game, I, I think it can give, some reason for my retirement because <laughs> I New England through the ball maybe forty times and ran yeah. it maybe four times. Yeah. I was thinking, you know what? That's the end of me. Teams <laughs> 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 in the Dude, playoffs and I... running the ball four times. I am out of
0: a job. Right? Hey, man, I I, I hear you. I, I often wonder that myself. If you know, I was. A special teams linebacker, but when I would get my fifteen-ish plays a game, it was rundowns. I can't pass rush. I was, you know, I was a press the tight. I was a press the tight end, make tackles in the run game kind of guy. But man, the game today is every down is nickel and dime, and I'm thinking, man, where would I fit in that? I guess I'm playing teams only here. So uh, it's, it's weird the way it's the games crazy, changed.
2: man. It's, it's, it's funny because after my first season, 2013, with the Chiefs, we had our exit meetings. And uh, my D-line coach came up and said, hey, we went back and looked at the films, and, and most teams, you know, 70% of the downs we played against on defense were in 11 personnel. Yeah. And, the, and so he's like, so you got to figure out how to pass around. I'm like, coach, it's year eight. Like, <laughs> 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 what it is. <laughs> I got nothing. This is it. Right. Stop so, right. yeah, I'm with you, man.
0: Yeah, it's funny how that works. It's like, yeah, you know, in, in this this late hour of my career, I'm gonna, you know, can I, I'm gonna come up with a pass rush game. That's <laughs> I, I remember I remember doing that in New York with Dan Quinn. You, know, Danny Quinn was awesome. You know, he was, yeah, he, was. he was a ninja with us, you know, working with the D line and the outside linebackers and ends and stuff, uh, trying to you know do the MMA stuff and get better with our handwork. And you know, I think it was my ninth year by then uh, that off season anyway with Dan. And you know it, you're kind of looking at it's. I'm kind of the same way. It's like he's looking at you sideways, going, "Well, I've been able to rush for eight seasons, but
2: we're gonna we're gonna do some
0: we're gonna do some camp work with some hand pads and bags, and we're gonna we're gonna teach you how to turn a corner." I'm like, oh, best of luck. I'll try it, but you know, we'll see how it goes. Uh, but Man,
2: okay,
0: yeah. So okay, let's dive into this game. And I, I sort of wanted to set the table to to you know remind fans of what happened then because it's the last time these two teams faced one another. But to put it in context, I think the best you can help us is sort of enlightening us on some of the personnel that's still there two years later and who this team is now. But one of the things I found interesting, I go back and watch that game in prep here for having you on, and I was a little bit shocked how different the Patriots are. Maybe not the Chiefs. The Chiefs have got a really veteran defense even now. Uh, But uh, that Patriots offense that the Chiefs saw on that day, I think it's going to be – well, I know it's going to be dramatically different. The offensive line is is, is dramatically different. On that day, uh, Mike, as you guys are uh, preparing for the Patriots in that divisional round, you had uh, Sebastian Vollmer, who's been an all-pro kind of guy at right tackle, but he had to play left. Uh, Marcus Cannon, who was a rotating backup guy, had to start at right, and had a toe problem. Uh, Josh Klein played left guard, and Josh is no longer with the Patriots, was an undrafted guy that made his way up there. Center was a guy named Brian Stork who's now a coach of Florida State, isn't even in the league. And the right guard was a was a rookie, uh Shaq Mason. So that whole offensive line has now really reconfigured itself. Uh only, you know, one of the guys is where they were on that day. Well, I guess Marcus too, but Marcus is now back and and playing in a full-time role. But uh, I, I'm just curious on that day, uh, you know, if you can remember back two years, preparing yeah. for that version of the Patriots. Brandon LaFell's at wide receiver. Uh, but back on that day, as you mentioned, was Steven Jackson just signed. Uh, and I, I think he probably understood, obviously, I think Bob did, uh, your coordinator at the time, that it's probably not going to be a big run day in that environment. But preparing for that sort of cobbled-together offensive line and a team that was just going to spread you out, what's what's our old defensive coordinator, buddies telling the Chiefs at that time?
2: Yeah, you know, it was it was similar. Our plan was similar to what Denver did the next week. So we saw the beat-up offensive line. We saw that they, you know, New England really hadn't been running the ball much during the season. They, they had, you know, again the makeshift offensive line. And so we're thinking, okay, we got Tomba on the outside. We got Justin coming back from injury, D Ford. Um, so we were thinking, let's get these guys on the outside and rushing, and we'll be able to get there with four. And um, and we just didn't realize Tomba had been worn down. He just wasn't at 100 percent. Justin wasn't at 100% coming back from his injury, Justin Houston. And so I think we thought we'd be able to get there just lining up and going. Uh, because obviously if you can, you know, rush four against Tom Brady and keep your coverage intact, you know, that's, that's obviously the, you know, the best strategy, the way to go about it. But we just we couldn't end up getting there. The guys were just a little bit beat up. And so what Denver did the next week, with the outside guys with Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware, that's kind of what we thought we would be able to get done. But the difficult thing about that game, Matt, I don't know if you remember that season, but we hadn't had a game in like the, the 10 weeks prior to that game where all the receivers were healthy. Right. Uh, so we, we, could, we didn't really, couldn't really come up with a game plan because we didn't know how it was going to look. Because I believe Amendola was hurt, right. uh, Edelman was hurt, and, so, and guys were coming back and forth. I think Gronkowski... Uh, was hurt and they come back, and they come back at different times. And now they were all healthy.
0: And Keyshawn and so it was, Martin, really, if you'll remember, <laughs> that's a, yeah. a, a name out of left field. Yeah,
2: yeah, right. And so those guys were in and out throughout the you know the weeks prior, and so we we didn't really know what New England was going to do, what kind of passing game they were going to have, uh, because we didn't know what you know how these guys were going to work together. And so then all of a sudden they all come back at the same time. And I think it's just with the with the you know the, the guys hurt up front not being able to really get there with the pass rush and then some you know a bunch of receivers who were fresh uh, coming back together and not really knowing what they were how they were going to you know do things I think that played into uh, played into New England really having a good night uh, especially passing the ball.
0: Yeah, and one of the things that, that I'd give you guys a ton of credit for, in, in retrospect, it's certainly not how I remembered the game. I sort of remembered it as sort of a survive and advance. It wasn't a sharp day for probably either of you guys. They win right. 27-20. They move on. But in retrospect, well, again, Denver Denver really put a number on them the next week, and I, like you said, I think they accentuated some of those problems they were having with the offensive line. But by and large, uh, got to give Bob Sutton credit. And, again, Bob was our coach in, in New York, and then now he was the coordinator, is the coordinator there. In Kansas City, I thought it was an interesting plan in that you guys showed a lot of four-man rush and would drop one of those two guys. I think it's it's unique that they have some some healthy bodies. D Ford's D Ford's probably the one unique element that a lot of teams don't have—a guy that can legit rush, but that's athletic enough to drop off. And they used him quite a bit opposite Tom Bali and we'll mention this sort of previewing later Tom is on PUP here to start the season so he's sort of out of right. the out of the formula but Justin's back and Justin wasn't a big part of the game but I, I was uh, not surprised because you know having gone through some game planning stuff with Bob I know how he generally views <laughs> facing Tom Brady and his kind of offenses but they came out in that game uh, the Patriots did gun almost every play split gun with two backs next to him motion out one of the other way empty a lot of just basically like there's no way in hell we're running the ball guys so good luck and the and you guys basically would show the four-man line and drop one of two you know or one of the two edge guys and let them sort of be that the low disruptive lane thing between either amadola or jules whoever is running the inside element maybe sort of help on gronk and some of the interior stuff and try to match him deep with safeties but it was an interesting plan i mean when you give up 27 only had the one turnover, so I guess the Patriots won the turnover differential on that day. But it wasn't like a wildly different thing. So, cube yards, yeah, three hundred yards passing, but they pass so damn much, it's not like it. You know, they blew the top off the thing, and they give up thirty some yards rushing. So, yeah, they put twenty seven on. That's actually less than their average at the time. Uh, but it wasn't like it was a you know gangbusters kind of thing, and it was just a touchdown game. So, I'm curious. It'll be, We'll all be interested to see what Bob comes up with this time. I, I think the bigger issue is. It's an entirely different offense, and it's it sucks to say that. And we know that from when we played with the Jets. You kind of, yeah. you kind of half expect that the Patriots change a lot from time to time. And now it's Brandon Cooks, it's Chris Hogan, it is Amendola still there. It is still Gronk, but the entire back situation is nothing like you would have seen two years ago. James White was there, but he was a young guy, and his role was much different. So I'm let's now let's blast forward here to the present time. You've got. This new configuration, what's your best guess? And presumably, and also an offensive line, the all five are back together again, and that's a rarity in this league. What's sort of, you know, trying to be a worm in, in, in Bob Sutton's head, and I can do my best attempt to, where do you think he goes with this sort of new version of the Patriots offense?
2: Yeah, this new version is, is much more difficult to deal with because, like you said, you have all those weapons still on the outside. I mean, even with the different guys with Hogan and, uh, and Cooks, those guys, um, you ha- you know, Brady still has all those weapons like he did in the 15, but now you have this run game. Uh, and you know, I mean, you know, Matt, so you-, you have to prepare for that. I remember watching New England last year and thinking, who is this team? You know what I mean? With the way that they were able to run the ball consistently every week because you know, prior, to, prior to that, I mean, it was just constantly throwing the football. So, um, you know, that adds a whole other dimension to – to how you build a game plan, because normally you, you're getting ready for New England, you're practicing nickel and dime, and that's really, you go in and that's your base defense. right? Um, and so now maybe you're a little bit hesitant to do that and only have two down the alignment uh, because of how well they run the football. And so now do you go back into base, but now, now you're vulnerable in the pass game. And so uh, it, it's not an easy game plan to do. I would imagine that you're still more worried about Tom Brady and those receiving threats so I would imagine you're going to get um, uh, some, you know, more nickel, more dime, and then some movement up front to try to create, you know, create some havoc there, not just not just line guys up, uh, but move guys around, get them stunting, um, get them, you know, going towards the strength to help in the run game. Uh, because I don't think you can go out there and go base that, that much. I, still, I I would still right. imagine even if this run game it's going to be 11 and 12 personnel. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, this is totally different. This is a totally different beast. When I mean, you get Tom Brady, uh, you know, now that that whole dynamic offense, um, instead of just you know a one dimensional offense, I mean, that's you know that's
0: tough. Yeah, and I think we're all. I mean, this is it's a unique situation in that you know it's a new season, week one. Everyone's sort of guessing what everyone else is going to do, but it, it it's extra tough. I think on Bob Sutton and Andy Reid to kind of sit back and try to put a plan together because. I think much like the local media here, and even former players, it's it's a bit of a guess of what the Patriots are going to do. I, you know, doing those those broadcasts in the preseason for the sideline, and my head is spinning because every mm. single possession was was a personnel switch. Sometimes two and three different bodies on at the time. Now Julian being out changes that a little bit. Philip Dorsett's new, and we're not certain exactly how he'll fit in. But it'd be weird because they'd have eleven, like like you're you're talking about, where it's three wide receivers, just the one back and tight end and they'd have multiple versions of 11. You know, you could use mm-hmm. all six guys, so three guys in, three guys out. It's still 11, but it's three different dudes, and where are they going to fit? And that's, that can be stressful. Uh, and I'm going to look now, let's go deeper sort of on this Kansas City Chiefs defense. And one of the unique things that happened with him, you mentioned uh, Justin Houston being back. I think that's obviously huge for them. Derek Brooks is back and healthy. That's nice for that group. It's a veteran group overall, but we'll start up front. Some of the guys you had known, like Don Terry Poe, he was good, right? I mean, he was one of their, their top dudes up front, but he's now gone. And Benny Logan comes in at the nose. Um, anything sort of in this new configuration of the teeth defense, Chris Jones at one end, uh, the, S. Allen Bailey at the other, they're still uh, ideally in three four a ba- or in base a 3-4 team, but do you expect that three configuration on the field for nickel and dime stuff, or do they have specialists that come in and sort of fill the roles?
2: You know, I would think it would be you know a mixture of those three guys plus like uh, uh, Nunez back backup three technique. He's he's a high motor guy. Uh, looking at Beanie Logan, he's been impressive now. I'll tell you because uh, I know you you worry about Don, Don Poe Paul leaving like you said. Um, uh, you got that big explosive nose tackle, kind of like a Chris Jenkins type guy with donsari right. Paul. But then you bring Beanie Logan in. I mean, I'm as a run stopper, I'm jealous because his he is. First off, he's huge. Six five, I don't know, three hundred and whatever pounds. His technique is fantastic. He plays low, um, plays hard, and then he has that explosive ability to be like Paul, get up field, you know, create havoc, get that penetration. So he's a really good player. Now Alan Bailey, um, he's I mean, he is your um he you know who he reminds me of? Uh, is it Malik Jackson? Is that the uh tackle yep. for the Jaguar? Yep. He he's a. To the same exact way, same. I think he's really underrated. Same type of player uh, looks exactly like him, but uh, he can do both: stop the run, rush the passer really well. Chris Jones came along really well last year too. He was, you know obviously an explosive guy can rush the passer, but he worked on his run technique, got his fundamentals down. So I would think if you're looking at a nickel and dime defense, those are going to be your three main guys being in there because all three of them can play the the run really well and with the way Beanie Logan can can get penetration, they can cause some, you know, some havoc up front just rushing, uh, you know, those two guys inside. So those are the guys I think you'll get get the most. uh, Chris Jones, a really explosive pass rusher, really long. And as you watch the season last year, he continued to work on his, uh, you know, staying low, getting out of his stance. And he just has those long arms uh, that can really keep guys off him. He's explosive, good with his hips. So I would imagine those three guys are gonna you're gonna get the most of up front. And then obviously Justin and D on the edges. Um I mean D Ford, I don't remember how many sacks he had last year. I think he had double digit sacks, I mean he had a fantastic year going into yeah, he had ten sacks last year. So coming off there filling in now for Tomba, I think Kansas City really trusts him out there to just kinda of do what Tomba was able to do when he was in his prime. So they didn't lose a step. I mean, even with Tomba out and PUP, uh, with Justin back healthy and D on the outside, he's still got two, two nasty pass rushes. I mean, Justin—he's—he's he's what 270 pounds. He's stronger than I am. Matt. I mean, he benches more than I do, and he's and he's explosive. I mean, he's just a fun guy to watch. So look up front, they're they're well built to handle um, to handle this run game, to handle you know get outside and rush the passer. Um, but you know it's Brady, I mean it is can you do it fast enough uh, and can can you be effective up front and getting pressure up the middle because uh, you know that's not always easy to do when you got two guys
0: well it's interesting as you as you sort of paint that picture, Mike and I get well I'll see how they how they sort of determine well how the patriots determine what they think is the best approach against Kansas City. I've seen them do this a number of times even if even if there's faith in the offensive line, even if you know using uh, James Devlin and the two tight sets potentially and doing some smash mouth portions of the game if they determine mm-hmm. that you know what that front that front seven that's the strength let's well, avoid it uh, the Patriots have done that many times yeah. before they'll turn it into spread you out sub running where maybe Burkhead gets more carries or James or Deion Lewis or one of those guys but uh, you know if they they don't love to go strength on strength they'd much rather just say hey here you know where where do we have the perceived weaknesses and let's game plan right at that so maybe spreading them out and trying to get into the secondary depth might be the approach here more but in the in the in the times when they do need to get rundowns or run yards I think they're a little better equipped to do it than they were two years ago uh let's look at this portion because this has really kind of popped up uh a lot in the preseason at least because the Patriots have this weird group of backs Mike Gillisley is a little less of the pass down guy we didn't see a ton of him because he's more of a Stretch it, hit it, get it. Physical runner, not the biggest guy, but still a really hard-charging kind of dude. The rest of them, quick, fast, jump-cut guys, in and out, squirts, You know, real, but really effective between James White, Deion Lewis, and now Rex Burkhead being the new one. Who's going to get the most touches? Lord knows. I don't know that. But where I think you might be fun to, to enter into this conversation is the matchup issues they create and I, I personally can can vouch for this you know having to cover these quick and fast backs we hated it you know we we, we right. beg the defense begged the defensive end to chip them for you on the way by hey mike please right. hit yeah, right. the, please hit the damn back on the way i do not want to be out in space right. against this guy so i would i would presume i know i remember those conversations with bob i would presume that they're going to get into some chipping you can look back on the film with houston specifically and burkhead's just running angle routes over and over again the dns are turning them down and it's one on wanted space to the backer and he's getting smoked i half wonder two things if the chipping comes in with those ends but then this was a portion you may be able to answer for me who are their best guys to potentially match the backs no linebacker is a great matchup against the backs but derek johnson's an older dude he's the leader of that defense i presume but uh, are there any more athletic guys that can get closer to foot speed matches that might be okay to to, to, <laughs> to these backs?
2: Yeah, and if you look at it, Matt, you you brought up D Ford before, and he really is—he's uh, really somebody that can hold on one Oh no worries. He, he's really somebody that can get out there and and, uh, and cover a guy. maybe you see some simulated pressures coming from Justin Houston's side, dropping out D Ford so he can get in the coverage. Um, I could definitely see that as a possibility. Uh, you look—you said Derek Johnson. He is getting—you know—obviously Perrickson is 12, 13, B or something like that. But man. Matt, he is so, so athletic. And so yeah. I still think he has the ability to get out there and cover guys. He's done a fantastic job, uh, you know, doing it in the past. And then uh, Rameek Wilson, this young guy that they brought in, he's a, you know, he can, he can put his head in there and, and stop the run, but he's also like Derek in the sense that he can he can get out and cover guys. Um, athletic, you know, more athletic guy. I think back to, like, when we were in New York and we had, you know, Bart Scott and Dave Harris. You know, I mean, these are run stopping, come out and put put their head in the guard or stop the run. These two guys aren't like that. These guys are much more athletic, um, and so you know, like you said, obviously uh, uh, those backs on any linebackers is going to be difficult. But I think you know, with D Ford dropping down into the mix uh, and Ramik and Derek, you have some really athletic guys that I think can can hold up well if they you know if they play their techniques and and hang with it, but. It's difficult, and you look for. I would imagine, like you know, I mean, I would imagine Bob's going to try to disguise the coverages, mix up the coverages as much as he can, get two guys on Gronk, uh, you know. So you're going to. I'm sure you're going to see a lot of different things. Rex Ryan's defense. I mean, as you know, has so many bullets in the gun, so many different types of things that he can do, um, and and when you have a guy like Marcus Peters um, and Eric Berry, who you can you can line those guys up and make it you know, you can trust them to be one on one with a, you know, with a number one receiver. Now you can roll coverages, you can get other guys mixed in, double team guys. Um, and so I think they have the personnel to do it. What I get nervous about is they just put Steve Nelson on uh, on IR. That was, was
0: my next there, question. Part. Yep, exactly. Yeah, yes. he's just <laughs> no starting two.
2: corner. So now you got a guy like Terrence Mitchell, maybe Philip Gaines coming in who, who have proven you know, have shown good football before. Um, but now they got to come in and play that opposite corner spot, um, and Steve Nelson's done a fantastic job. I mean, he had like sixteen pass breakups last year. Uh, he did. A, he's been doing a really good job. So that's a, that's a big loss, and that's something they'll have to account for as well. Is helping out whoever's going to step in there for him. Um, but I think you know the one thing that about Kansas City defense that was different from a lot of other defense I've been on. Matt is they're so athletic. I mean, just from top to bottom, they're so athletic. I remember when I came over from New York. It was like, if I didn't beat my man right away and get in the backfield, there were going to be four other guys there. Like, <laughs> right, it was like, right, right, right. in New York, we had eight run stoppers. You know what I mean? like, it was right. just like you, just, you know, you had a chance to make plays. In Kansas City, these guys are so explosive, so fast. Um, and so I think, I think they're built to challenge New England in the passing.
0: Yeah, it's uh, you. You you took it where I wanted to go. That was perfect, uh, Mike. And I, I because I I think that is probably the, the the lens through which they'll see this. It's just our guess. We'll see how things turn out Thursday evening. But I presume when you lose a starting cornerback and cornerback depth, at least by virtue of youth, was was probably one of the the ticks, I guess, against Kansas City. But it's still a, a damn good defense, and like you said, extremely athletic. I have a feeling, just a, a presumption here, that that. They'll they'll spread it out and, and try to get into that fourth. Try to find the fourth corner. Try to find the third corner who used to be the fourth corner by virtue of going a lot of spread stuff. But uh, we will see. Uh, I'm uh, I'm excited for this game. I know you are. You provided some phenomenal uh, insight here, and uh, leave you leave you here with just a little a little kiss away. You're going to do the the main black bears game against Bryant, correct? That's that's what's got coming up this weekend.
2: Yes, yeah, that's this weekend. Yeah.
0: In a way, Matt. So I have, I still have nightmares. You you say Bryant College and enjoy that game, but uh, I just, the, just the, the term makes me think training camp because that's where the old Patriots training camp used to be. at Bryant. so oh uh, man, it's, it's just a it's just a nightmare. Is that game there up there in Maine, or is it is it down here in Rhode Island?
2: Yeah, it's, it's up here in Maine. But I'm with you. Anytime I hear Cortland uh, <laughs> <St>. or <Joe>, Missouri, <laughs> right.
0: sure exactly.
2: You're just, you know, you miss you miss the game, but you, I don't know. I don't know too many guys that miss training camp.
0: Ugh, don't miss any of it. And we're happy that's over, happy the precinct's over, into the real meat. Thanks again for coming on, Mike. Awesome stuff. Hopefully we'll hear from you again. Take care, buddy.
2: Awesome, Matt. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it.
0: And that was Mike Devito. Great insight there to what they see in you, and I think that's always important when you know take a peek in uh, the mirror. You know, self-reflective, but also trying to find out what uh, what opponents how they see you when they're when they're staring at you. I think it's always helpful. Uh, you know, I I know people give me a hard time for the years I spent with the Jets, but I think it helps. It helps inform an analysis now because i'm used to staring back at the Patriots, trying to figure out how to how the hell to solve that puzzle uh and and mike is has been a part of those game plan meetings has been a part of fighting on the field trying to beat this team and and fail just just like many of us have people all around the league have shared that experience so we'll try to find as many of those kinds of people as we plow through this schedule this season that uh can give you the view from the other side looking back at the patriots It it was really great stuff there by mike so uh you know on a normal week here on the real thing uh we're going to spend time reviewing the last week's game film uh, so we can tell you what really did happen, and try to a- avoid the headline hot takes, and the other people diving into the film and 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 maybe screwing up what it is they're they're looking at. We're going to give you a professionalized view of what is actually happening, what the real game plan was, what the real turning points were, what the real sort of tick issues were that that helped it turn out the way it did, and, and what the game plan was. You know what? Uh, obviously, each time, and we're we're going to really spend a lot of time on this this year. Uh, each time you you game plan against someone you make concessions you can't defend everything so there's going to be things that you concede uh and we'll we'll try to to spend some time throughout this year picking apart games and picking apart performances and sort of trying to explain it in in more regular guy layman's terms whatever uh, uh of what exactly happened and uh you know you cannot have everything you cannot have uh no yards allowed and no passing <laughs> on the ground or air. You can't uh, pass rush every day and not give up big plays. You can't blitz and and not and not concede big plays. Uh, there has to be balance, and uh, we'll have a good time this year diving through what's real uh, and. Uh, this this sort of turns me obviously to to a look ahead of the, to this Kansas City Chiefs game, and because we don't have game film to look at, and, and because most of this show is going to be about reviewing games, don't want to spend a tremendous amount of time here, uh, you know, ten, you know, making guesses on what's going to happen. We'll spend more time on the back end after the Chiefs and Patriots have played, explaining what did. But just wanted to give you some contextual stuff going into this thing, kind of understanding what what. What's out there? What's changed for this Chiefs team uh, since you've seen them last? Even if you just you know paid attention to them as an AFC rival or, or, or threat that was out, excuse me, out there a year ago. Um, one of the big things you need to know uh, about this Chiefs team as you go into the Patriots is that. The way the Patriots were able to make some hay against that, the Patriots offense against that Chiefs defense a time ago, was with ISO stuff extending Gronk from the formation, where you basically call him a wide receiver, go into a three-by-one set or something. Three receivers to one side, one on the other, and the one is, well, it's your tight end, right? And trying to ISO him either on a safety... You know, maybe Eric Berry takes him. I don't know. I don't know. We don't know exactly how they'll match up. But had some success with that two years ago. The last time they'd seen one another. So Gronk just kept winning, and ISO had a touchdown that way. Um, one thing that we sort of touched on earlier is that the passing back element was very nearly non-existent for the Patriots a couple of years ago when they when they faced him in the divisional. Um, James White again was a young dude, but the rest of the roster. You know, there was no Deion Lewis playing on that day. There wasn't, you know, there was clearly not a Rex Burkhead. And and Mike Gillislee is a different kind of back than Steven Jackson was clearly at that point of his career. So the back makeup and how they account for them, brand new story and and a big unknown. And I think probably one of the best things the the Patriots have going for them going into this game. Uh, ideally, uh, you know, the Chiefs, I think, are going to want to keep things in front of them. And I know Bob Sutton more or less has that philosophy. Uh, You're going to see a lot of off-man, a lot of sagging. You're going to see Brandon Cooks extended from the formation either side at X and occasionally Z, Z being the the wide receiver position that's off the line a little bit so we can still motion. But uh, we've seen people do this throughout the preseason basically treat Brandon Cooks as someone that they won't allow to get behind them you're not going to see Brandon Cooks get pressed much and well if you do you're going to see big plays uh so we're going to kind of see how the Chiefs will do this uh I just want you to kind of keep your eyes on the game and uh watch it with a a little more educated eyeball to say hey you know it's it's not go routes every time if they're going to sag on him you're not going to see big plays from Brandon Cooks if they're going to sag on him either with safety help or just simply off coverage, you might see a lot of targets to Brandon Cooks on, on low intermediate stuff because if they're going to they're do the easy pitch and catch thing, uh, we saw that actually in Detroit where it's like, hey, man, if they're going to play off coverage at nine yards, Brandon Cook's going to get catch and run plays. And it might not be the go route you expect. Uh, but if teams are willing to play middle of the field safety, which you know, we don't necessarily expect from the Chiefs, they'll play some man free. Uh, but if you see that, uh, that's when you go feast. Uh, but again, if cornerbacks are going to sag, it's just because they don't want to get beat over the top by by Chris Hogan, uh, who he, man, he's got a lot of tape out there now. Um, so, you know, I I think if the chiefs had to line up on week one, uh, and they, they'd lost a cornerback, which they have their number two is out. Uh, and they, you know, went to a difficult place to play a game. You have to start on the road in week one. If you had that sort of set of ingredients, the number one team you would not want to play in the NFL on that day, the number one offense would be the Patriots. So this is an incredibly difficult challenge. It really is. So uh, Mike DeVito touched on it, the, the notion of the Patriots having a running game. Uh, do not forget about that part. We'll, we'll be hammering that. I, I think it could be something that they exploit, but maybe more from space running. I, I really do like that front, uh, 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 the front of the, of the Chiefs. Uh, and I don't think the Patriots go right at it, you know, with a 20-plus carry kind of day, but more just a supplemental running game. But one that if it's there – Man, it opens up so many different things, and, and the Patriots really worked on their power running game stuff. If they were to go that route against Detroit, and Detroit, has a pretty good defensive front themselves, so um, we'll see where this thing goes, and, and we'll really give you the hardcore analysis on, analysis on the back end uh, from the Patriots defensive side. I think this is 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 a pretty easy uh, matchup, and you know I don't say that to sort of. Deride the other team And I don't mean mean it to be hot takey Like the Chiefs Chiefs suck You know They're garbage Or anything like that It's more just Ease of 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 complication As far as game planning uh, it's pocket control, and I think this is in part why you saw guys like Coney Ealy, uh, who who had some issues with pocket control quite a bit. It looked like he was going to have a major role through the first couple preseason games, and you get there to the third, and you know you have uh, Jake Rudock, uh, backup quarterback for the Lions, who's 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 an agile dude, but uh, you know not someone who's necess- someone who gets out and runs for forty and fifty yard gains, makes you say, ooh, what would that look like if we're not edge athletic if we're not edge pursuit heavy if we're not able to run and retrace and keep pocket integrity against a guy like Alex Smith so I think you go into this game as you always go into a game uh, against a mobile quarterback with pocket control being really the number one thing uh, we know the Chiefs backfield is going to look way different than what we're used to where is now injured uh, Jamal Charles is in Denver uh request is still there the little dude their scatterbug guy uh you have the young guy uh from toledo i, love I don't have the name in front of me but uh, uh you know a, a nice new addition for somebody who worked in the mac and i'm blanking on the dude's name right now um uh, you'll know it before me uh it, it, I, he was a hard charging runner a really productive guy high carry dude a dude that has a nice little NFL career ahead of him but I don't know if they walk into day one and they they really try to hammer him home but we know how much or how important the run game has been to the Chiefs so there are going to be carries there the Patriots are going to have to stop the run and there were some some issues with that in the first half against the Atlanta Falcons so expect the Chiefs to try to generate uh game plan runs uh, pullers uh, different trapping different read elements with with uh with alex smith different ways to sort of create gaps and to loosen things up a little bit for themselves why because i think if you're defending them they're awful young at, at two three four wide receiver spots awfully inexperienced at, at really all of them even your top spot as good as tyree kill was a year ago he was you know a, a almost like a running back essentially in college and uh, a a gadget guy in the NFL, the most explosive, dangerous gadget guy in the NFL, but now moving into a number one wide receiver role. So when I talked about earlier about this idea of, uh, of the chiefs being a relatively easy game plan or an easy team to, to go against defensively, it's not necessarily easy to execute, but it's easy mentally. You don't have to have a, a bunch of diverse packages. You just have to play steady consistent uh really integrity of the defense being a major focus uh you don't want to see Alex Alex Smith breaking pockets you don't want to see Tyreek Hill getting behind the defense with big plays you don't want to see run gap run gashing uh so it's going to be run 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 and pocket control first and big plays with Tyreek and because there's not a, a at least an established super dangerous two three uh at the receiver position I think uh you know, the the concern is less there. You hope you match up well. You hope the Stefan Gilmores and Malcolm Butler's the world can take theirs one on one. You hope that uh, your your next man in Jonathan Jones or or Eric Rowe, whoever it happens to be, or even DeRon Harmon down as a big safety, uh can can win theirs. They can win their one on one. And the help elements are there to help with the tight end, to To you know, which obviously is the other big part of Kansas City's offense, but I think the the pool is shallow enough there that the Patriots are going to be able to get creative and really give this group trouble. And even the twenty that they put up with with maybe even a little better offense, uh, uh, you know, a couple years ago, will will be tough to reach, especially on opening day. And that uh, Hornets' nest it's going to be with all the Goodell towels and uh, you know the banner ceremonies and all that stuff. So it's going to be a tough environment. I I think Kansas City with all those young wide receivers we might turn around here and See where they're at in November and look back, and my analysis might have been stupid. <laughs> we'll see because we'll know more about some of those guys, and maybe they end up being really productive receivers. But uh, I think that's an offense that's controllable, and I think that'll be the Patriots' focus. Uh, so don't expect big sack numbers. Don't expect pressures uh, you know, all over the place. Uh, it doesn't have to be a huge turnover day. It just has to be a control day, and then let that Patriots' offense fly. Uh, from the special team side, uh, tyreek hill if he is indeed back there as as either of the returners Ryan allen has got to hang it up it can't be returned it's got to be fair caught or it's got to be kicked out of bounds uh, especially because the units are so new so just look there for smart play um you don't want to put this team back in it with a giant return you don't want to put this team uh you know using chunks chunks of field and real estate that they're otherwise unable to get offensively through special teams and uh uh, looks like Brandon Bolden's going to be back. I think that's great. Uh, you know, he was he was signed back with the IR uh, Irene. Is that a verb <laughs> of McClellan? And uh, I think that gives you some stability back to that group. Um, you know, look to see Ebner back out there again, and Slater and King and all those guys. But uh, we're gonna always talk about special teams because that's my background. But uh, I think this is one of those weeks where that area is in major focus, and I know it's got a lot of people consternated about the uh, the Amendola thing. He'll be your punt returner. He'll field it. It'll be a non-issue. Uh, he'll even have you know he's got some some crazy legs too and some ability to, to hit it and get it, find gaps and, and make some plays there. So I think it's an area that uh, the Patriots at least need to have be a wash to keep Kansas City from from pulling off the major upset. But we'll enjoy that game. I hope you enjoyed the real thing, the first uh, FBF Patriots podcast of the season. Many, many more to come. Uh, and as these things come out, expect them to sort of uh, uh, give us a day to breathe after the film comes out. So we'll be watching that. Horrendous product it is, the NFL Game Pass and the, the uh, unreliability of that. But uh, we'll be using that to, to review the game, then to tape this so we can tell you really specifically what happened in, 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 a, in a version that's that's comparable to what they'll be seeing internally, what coaches look uh, see when they see tape, what players see when they see tape, uh, how they'll be reviewing it, and we'll sort of report that back to you. But hope you enjoyed the first show. Uh, so much more to come. This was The Real Thing, and I'm Matt Chatham. See you on the other side. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football Insight by football players.
1: Night, Lucky. Night, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Ned.